Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dr. Christine Sterling. Christine is an OBGYN practicing here in San Diego. And Christine shares with us in today's episode how becoming a mother herself completely changed the way that she provides care for her patients. And it really showed her the gaps that are happening in our care for mothers during pregnancy and how we're not preparing moms for beyond birth. We're not preparing them for motherhood. Christine breaks it down today in each trimester, the things that we can be doing to be preparing for motherhood and caring for ourselves. We talk about all the things. We talk about things related to self-care, partner relationships, building a mom tribe. We talk about being able to connect with your baby during pregnancy and preparing for the intensity that comes with the intense experience of birth. Christine is so full of knowledge. She also is so full of beyond just wisdom, but also humility and vulnerability. And it's just such, she's just such a breath of fresh air. I can't wait for you to get to know her better. So let's jump in right now. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now let's jump in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am sitting here at my dining table across from my good friend, Dr. Christine Sterling. I first met Christine, oh, we were at a tiki bar. <laughs> it was yes, her, we, were. we were. It was for a friend's birthday, a surprise, a surprise party, and I had never met you before, and within the first five minutes of us meeting and talking, maybe first 10 minutes, <laughs> I cried. Yeah. I was crying <laughs> to you. It, you just, you have this way of, I don't know, there's this energy about you that just feels clearly safe enough for me to be crying. <laughs> so Dr. Christine is an OBGYN at West Coast and West Coast were, is a practice that delivered my first baby and was also the practice that supported me through my second pregnancy that ended in miscarriage and that pregnancy that we lost. And in sharing that story with you um, and a lot of the beautiful things that actually happened in my experience with West Coast, I was crying. <laughs> and, and you held that space for me and the rest was history. Yes. I felt connected to you um, pretty quickly right away. So that's how I know you, but I would love to hear from you a little bit um, to share with our audience of what, what brings you joy, how do you spend your days, what are you passionate about, and telling us a little bit about your work and your roles. So um, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, which means that I take care of women through many different phases of their life. And um, that brings me immense joy. Um, and I, I, you know, as an, I'm also a mother to a 10 month old little girl. And so going through that and then being able to take care of other women um, in that situation has been really wonderful and really um, has given my life um, new meaning and uh, has given me uh, new passions and new drive to kind of make that experience better. Mm. And so my days, um, are varied, you know, I'm in the office, um, several days a week, and then I'm on call in the hospital delivering babies and doing surgeries and, and, and taking care of women and their, and their fetuses and their, and their yes, newborns. And yeah. Their babies. Yeah. I remember texting you once we were texting about actually some research. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're talking about, uh, things related to mom guilt, and yeah. we were texting back and forth about research that we were finding because I guess that's what nerds like us do. Yeah. <laughs> we, text, <laughs> we text about research, yeah. Um, other fun things too, but yeah. sometimes some research. And I remember you responded, you were like, So sorry, I wasn't responding right away. I was, I just was in a birth, I just gave it, and yeah. I was like, You are. I like turned my husband like I have this friend who's just like you know casually and I know it's not casually yeah. but like she just 
helped bring a baby into the world. And yeah. now we're and now we're texting about research. It's just Yeah. That's an that's an incredible it's incredible work that you do. Oh well thank you. I mean, yeah, it's um it's a real um it's such a privilege to be let into these families' lives in such an intimate way. And um it's a privilege and it's a it's a huge responsibility mm-hmm. that Unfortunately, um, I really, um, I really love that level of responsibility. You know, yeah. um, it's a unique, it's very unique in terms of medicine in that the vast majority of times you're taking care of a healthy situation. So it's not, it's not a disease process. It's, it's a, um, these are healthy people and what's happening to them is natural and, yeah. and should be happening. So I feel very, very, um, fortunate that I, I found this specialty and I found my calling. And, um, yeah, it's really people's reaction when they have a baby. I mean, now that I'm a mom, um, I, I, <laughs> I think I cry in almost every delivery. Like they don't necessarily see that. Right. Cause they're like, but I definitely like mm. shed a little tear almost every time, um, because it's really a beautiful experience. And some people's some of the reactions are just like, oh, they're so precious. Well, you, I imagine in the work that you do, you witness so much beauty. Yeah. And so much vulnerability and beauty within that vulnerability. I also imagine you witness a lot of things that are pretty yeah. brutal too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's the aspect of this kind of work that um, is is challenging because you can go from a really beautiful experience, um, and went to something that's really, really uh, difficult. And when things go bad in my specialty, it's, they're not supposed to go bad, Mm. you know? So when things don't go the way that we plan or we had, Mm. we had foreseen, um, it forever alters people's lives. And it is certainly never lost on me that how, I am in that moment mm. um, could potentially be remembered for the rest of someone's life. So how I mm. deliver news or just having to deliver bad news yeah. um, or be in situations that um, for some people will certainly um, be traumatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, it's a, there's a gravity to it. And, um, and you're, you know, from my own personal experiences, you're so, you're so right in how important that that person in the room is and how how much that can stick with you forever. Yeah. The the story that I had shared with you at the tiki at the tiki bar <laughs> was actually that when I with my second pregnancy um at we had heard the heartbeat and then a few weeks um at our next appointment yeah. um we went back and there was no heartbeat and the baby hadn't grown. And my body wasn't miscarrying, and so I ended up having a DNC. And that first experience of seeing the ultrasound and not seeing the flutter and not seeing that the baby had grown was 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 really traumatic. And then going into the DNC, I was in a really really rough place, Um, really struggling and in a lot of pain, and. One of the physicians at West Coast, Dr. Saffert, mm-hmm. he was the one who was going to do the DNC, and I remember going into that room, and it was it was really it was really cold, and I was panicking, and I was in a lot of pain, and I asked him, "Is there any way that I could? Is there any way that I could see the baby one more time?" And I don't think that that's part of protocol. I don't think that that's usually what happens yeah but he said yes yeah and he said let's stop everything and he rolled in he rolled in an ultrasound and um you know put and and showed me the monitor and I was able to say goodbye and honor that baby in a way that I hadn't been able to the first time yeah because yeah yeah and yeah Um, he held my hand and it was like the warmth of his human hand as I went under so that they could do the, you know, the DNC. Um, that, that is what I remember. And it was, I remember his voice. He has an incredible accent. And so I remember his voice and I remember his, the warmth of his hand. And I remember the words he said and him saying yes to allowing me to do that. 
And um, yeah, so it's just your role, that person's role in the room is, is, is really powerful. Yeah. And it can be really, it can be really healing and powerful in a good way. And it can also be really, um, it can also add to the trauma sometimes, um, from my, in my experience as a clinician working with moms who have had, um, hard experiences with physicians that they, with doctors that they, they didn't have good experiences with. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, certainly, um, I've been a patient as well, you know, and I've had, um, I've had surgery and I've had a baby. And so I think, um, I know what it's like on the other side and to be scared. Um, even, even my, even I can be scared about when it comes to these things. And so, um, you have to bring your humanity into those situations. And Mm -hmm. after you shared that story with me, um, holding the patient's hand as they go under had was not part of something I did before. Mm. I went and I spoke to them before and then yeah. I would be in the room but I I didn't hold their hand and so the next uh, DNC that I had to do which was a really really hard one um for that family um I did that. I went in and I I held her hand and I was uh, because you had you know, sometimes you just, as a clinician, you don't necessarily think about what something little like that could do. And so, yeah, it changed my practice. So now, so now that, um, that has become something that I, I will do for my patients. And I, so I really appreciated you sharing that. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice now, um, having friends who are going through pregnancy and loss and all of that and them sharing their experiences because mm-hmm. um, it really it's, makes me a better doctor because mm-hmm. then I can I can uh, take those experiences and change the way that I do things. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Like <laughs> I think um, you know obviously talking about those things is it feels really vulnerable. Yeah. And and to think that to think that that has any impact on somebody else's birth experience like that in and of itself brings meaning yeah right can bring meaning to to my story and my experience and in my in, in sharing it with somebody else yeah Whew. Gosh. <laughs> we got in there we got in there <laughs> christine oh my God. Okay, so yeah. tell me a little bit about I'm always curious about origin stories yeah. like what 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 brought you to the field of becoming an OBGYN? So um, I found or discovered science when I was in high school. And um, it was like discovering magic for mm. me. I ha- As a child, I was a really um, fan... I really enjoyed the fantastical. (laughs) So, um, I, you know, I had a very active imagination and, um, when I discovered science that, um, I felt that magic again, that, you know, you kind of lose when you're 16, 17 Mm. years old and you realize that fairies aren't real and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, discovering science was a big, um, turning point for me because I had, I had always thought I would be a writer or something like that because, you know, that's one way to kind of create a, a fantastical world, but just understanding how things actually work and how miraculous things, just like how a cell works and all yeah. these different, um, components of the cell and DNA and is really blew me away. And so, um, I went away to college and I was studying neuroscience and I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a PhD and I want to win a Nobel prize and I want to be such a hard hitting scientist. And um, then I, I kind of realized that there's another part of me that's beyond just scientific curiosity, but my, my um, deep need <laughs> to take care of people. Mm. And um, I'm a big sister. I have, I'm the oldest of four. And so I think that that was a role that was always going to need to be part of my life, um, even before I was a mother. So, um, then medicine just made the most sense because it was a blend of the two. And so, you know, went to, uh, got into medical school, went to medical school, thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon Yeah. because my grandfather, who I 
love dearly and is a very special person in my life, is an orthopedic surgeon. And um, interestingly enough, one day um, I saw one of my mentors, who's an OBGYN, Dr. Raquel Arias, who's a phenomenal human being. Um, she's the dean of admissions at USC. Um, I, I saw her and I just went up to her and I said, I'm thinking of OBGYN. And I really hadn't been. Mm-hmm. I really, I just said it. And yeah. I was kind of like, well, that was weird. You're like, whoa, where did whoa, that, where did that come, come from? And yeah. I just said it to her and she said, okay, well, there's two things you're going to need to be comfortable with. One, you have to be comfortable with being the doctor to your friends because you're, as an OBGYN, your friends are always going to want you to take care of them. Mm. Okay. And then the other thing is that you um, have to be comfortable with being... Your specialty and what you do always being part of a controversy or, you know, you're always going to be, what we do will always be um, debated by other people in terms of women's health. And, you know, you really are, you have to be um, an advocate for your patient, advocate for women's health. It's, there's more. There's more to it. There's more to it. Yeah. Than just, you know, being a cardiologist, right? So there's, there's a lot of um, heated topics around our specialty. And, um, so the, after that, it was just like, yes, I'm an OBGYN. I met other OBGYNs. I was, was, these are my people. These are my people. 100%. I'm an OBGYN. And it's funny. My subconscious knew that that's where I belonged. It must have, because it just came out. It It just came out. And I really surprised myself because it had not been something I was really thinking about. And I think that's just a testament to the mind and. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. how, how, you know, how uh, much is going on in our subconscious mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily, we're not aware of. You know, I don't think I've ever heard someone describe their relationship with science being like magic. And I just, I adore that. I think, and I think I needed to hear that. I think I've had, I've struggled with science at times where it feels like, can I, can I both be somebody who believes in science, but who also believes in, or also can, and it can also hold space for things that there's things we don't know, right? right? right. And like, yes. and curiosity and creativity yes. and, and magic. Yeah. Right. Um, and can, oh, I've just never heard it described in that way. And it's so empowering to hear you say that. Well, the more you know about science, the more you realize we don't know. Yeah. And so that really, um, oh, I could, you know, my husband's also a scientist. So we, we, you know, those are my, I love those conversations Mm -hmm. where you just, the things that we don't know and what could be, it's so, um, there's a lot of curiosity, a lot of wonder there. And at the same time, all that we do know is really impressive because when you when you are in science and you realize how hard it is to do research and to get all this stuff and to figure all this stuff out it's just the human beings are incredible amazing and incredible and um yeah we're so fortunate (laughs) yeah because in that I hear both like empowerment and like being a human and what we're capable of but I also hear humility right that there's also this like there's also so much we don't know and I don't know. I think that if we can come into as providers, healers, if we can come into the space of working with people with both feeling empowered by what we know, yes, but also humble enough to be like, there are things that I, there, I can be humble enough to also say I, that there's things we don't know, yeah. right? And yeah. that I can be curious and I can ask questions and uh, I love that. So talk to me a little bit about your approach to maternal care during pregnancy, um, birth, and postpartum. So um, I have two main passions when it comes to um, pregnancy and postpartum and two things that I really want to see happen in this world. So um, First of all, I am really interested in what successful motherhood looks like from the perspective of the mom. Mm. And um, I think that we've there's so much research and there's so much resources um, dedicated to parenting and child development. And very much the aim of that is the child, which is 
fantastic that we have all this wonderful body of knowledge. And so my interest is, okay, what about the mom and how um, can motherhood be empowering? And what does that look like mm-hmm. to a mom who is empowered and who is enjoying motherhood? And um, what, what do we need to do to get women there and how can we help women get there? And so um, I believe that pregnancy is the perfect opportunity to start that process. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that we're missing the point of pregnancy right mm-hmm. now. I think we are um, we kind of act as if birth is the destination of pregnancy, and it is in some ways. But truly, motherhood is the destination. And so what we should be talking about and preparing for during our pregnancy is motherhood. And would you say that becoming a mom yourself supported, like, did that change you in the way that you were practicing? (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because, um, yes, Yes, 100%. 100% becoming a mom. Yeah, I mean, the way that I I practice um, is... 180 degrees from where I was before and I think I was I think I was providing okay care I think what I'm doing now is um more to the heart of the issue Mm. and that I'm I'm um seeing beyond the the patient in the room Mm. and I'm seeing the person there Mm. um which was is a very um was a very enlightening experience for me and it it um was a challenge to kind of wrap my head around um because there were certainly some um feelings of I wouldn't use the word guilt but I I did feel bad about oh my gosh all those women I took care of and I didn't I didn't prepare them for all of this because mm-hmm. you know after experiencing it it's like whoa, you know, (laughs) I mean, I, I had a very, very difficult first trimester. Um, it was pretty miserable. And I thought back on all of the women who had told me that they were nauseous and I had kind of nodded and been like, yeah, that's, you know, that's that's, part of it. That's something that happens, but then living it yourself. It's sure it's common and typical and usual, but it does not feel normal when it's happening to you. Um, and it can be debilitating. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, um, I was so, um, I was so miserable and, uh, it made me depressed. The world was so gray. And I can remember thinking to myself, if I didn't know what this was, and I didn't know that this was probably going to end, I would be suicidal mm. because this is just pure misery all the time. And there's, there's no I'm not seeing any ray of sun. And so, you know, when a patient um, comes to me now and says, I'm feeling nauseous, I know that behind that mm-hmm. can be a lot more than just what they're saying. And so I... Um, and so you're probably more inclined to ask about those things and to, right, in a way that can potentially bring forth those... Yes. And I've, had, I've, had, so, I've had so many women... Um, then tell me how bad it is where tell me how bad it is and tell me um all the things that they're thinking and feeling guilty about like yeah. the, the idea of resenting your pregnancy and mm-hmm. wishing that you weren't pregnant and feeling really guilty about that because you should be so happy to be pregnant and other people aren't pregnant i mean there's just so much emotional weight um in pregnancy and you know just sharing that I felt similarly, I think, um, and allowing people to kind of shine light on how they're feeling and, and reassure them that it's gonna, it's okay. And they don't have to feel bad about how they're feeling about their pregnancy. I mean, that has been, uh, really a a wonderful experience for me to be able to, to see people leave their visit a little bit lighter and not feel so guilty about those feelings and not and, and that's a big part of that's kind of not feeling so alone like you are you're allowing yourself you're allowing yourself as a human being to show up in the room oh and yeah to share your yeah. experience 
And in that, there's real authentic empathy and and understanding. Yeah. And they can leave feeling less alone, but maybe also more empowered to begin to share that with others, right? And then that that spreads. Like the minute you start to open up those things inside of us that we feel ashamed of or shame around or guilt around or pain around, all of a sudden it's opening up. It's opening up opportunities for that woman to go talk to somebody else, and that woman might feel like she can talk. I think what happens so often, and you sort of touched on this, is because because we are we, as women, we all have different experiences, mm-hmm. right? In mm-hmm. in getting pregnant, being able to get pregnant, in pregnancy, in birth, postpartum, yeah. in breastfeeding, there are so many different ways in which it can look and yeah. be experienced, and the th- different things we can struggle with or that can come easily that we often like silence ourselves because it's like well I don't want to complain about how right nauseous I feel and how debilitating it feels and even how maybe even feeling suicidal because of how dark this all feels and like I don't know if I can survive this and I'm not enjoying being pregnant but I don't want to say anything because what if the what if I say something and I you know I hurt somebody who yeah is trying to get pregnant and desperately wants to be in that place right so then they just silence those feelings and then that's where it festers and can grow into other things right yeah. that can be much worse yeah and I think um for me it's been a new um a new experience um bringing my vulnerability into the room and I didn't necessarily know how to do that right because um that's not what medicine is really. So, so you're telling me you don't get taught in medical school how to be vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, there's certain like there's certainly it's certainly better than it was before. Yeah. Because I definitely we definitely had lectures and stuff by people who are beyond doctors and who are healers and that. Mm. so I had some role models for that yeah. in in medicine. But you you know <laughs> when you're when you're in training and you work eighty hours a week that gets beaten out of you really fast because mm. you just you get um, compassion fatigue oh. and um, yeah so I had to kind of go back to um, what I always wanted to do mm. and um, look back on those models and um, some of the people who provided care for me in my pregnancy really showed me that. Just an example, like, okay, she she did it. Like, my midwife shared with me her personal story, and boy, did that make me feel so much better. Yeah. You know, I can remember I was um, in my second trimester, and I was out of the really dark time, but I was still having these um, waves of... Um, negative like negative emotion and dissatisfaction that would kind of just wash over mm-hmm. me and be around for like five to ten minutes out of nowhere and um I kind of be like oh that's interesting I wonder what that is and I went to um see my um to the, see my midwives and one of them just asked me how I was and I gave my you know I'm fine. Like, I'm okay. You know, because I'm a doctor and I've got this under control. (laughs) And then she just looked at me and she was like, but really, how are you? And it just like kind of opened up this whole experience. And she then she shared her experience with me and she gave me a little something that I I could do to just Mm. make make myself feel better. And that was really, um, that was I mean, I'll always remember that moment, and it's made me a better doctor to just have seen what that can do. So I try to bring that um, as much as I can yeah. into my practice. Yeah. So I know you shared with me that you feel like that in different trimesters, in the different trimesters, that there's certain things yeah. that that mothers can be doing to care for themselves and to be preparing for motherhood and what, you know, so you shared a little bit in, in your experience yeah. in the first trimester. Yeah. You were nauseous all the time. Yeah. It was debilitating. So what in the first trimester can can be happening that moms can be doing to care for themselves and prepare yeah. for birth and motherhood? So first and foremost, I think um, the, the overarching theme of the first trimester for me is uh, self-care and survival. So if a mom is having, <laughs> if a mom is having a really difficult time, 
as I did, it's, it really is survival mode. And, um, so, um, for women who are having a, a difficult time, who are nauseous or, you know, they have severe aversions or, you know, it can, it can show up in many different ways. The first trimester can be difficult. It's not just nausea, but if someone's having a really difficult time, um, I like to tell them that, um, this is not the time that you're necessarily going to be super mom or you're going to be, um, killing it at your job. Um, if and you, that that's okay. That's okay. Please just, just take care of yourself. You're not going to be as outwardly productive as you always were because inwardly you're being very productive. Okay. I like, I, I needed to hear that in my first <laughs> trimester and I didn't, I actually yeah. heard, um, so I, I experienced a little bit. I was nauseous a little bit. There were a few times of like pulling over and throwing up on the side of the road. But for me, it was more the exhaustion. Like I was, I was, I just wanted to sleep all the time. And I remember saying something about that at where I was working at the time at my job. And I worked in a doctor's office and one of the nurses and and they, um, one of the nurses said to me, oh, no, that's don't you, you you can't complain yet. Don't you don't even know oh, what it's gonna I, hate, I know. Oh. They're like you just wait until the end, nope. then you'll be exhausted. And I was like, Oh, so am I am I am I just like like weak for feeling so tired? Yeah. And so then I was like, Well, then I shouldn't be feeling tired, which would keep me from actually getting the rest that my body needed, right? So I just, I love what you just said. Yeah. It's like you're not going to be as outwardly productive and that's okay because inwardly you're literally creating a human yeah. being. Yeah. But that's, the, that's, I think that's the part that's so difficult about the first trimester is one, a lot of people don't know you're don't pregnant. Know. Right. Um, and you've gone from, okay, your life before, and then oftentimes these symptoms hit you out of nowhere. Yeah. And so you've gone from like, oh, I get my to-do list done every day. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I do all the things. I get things done. I get things done. And it makes me feel good. Exactly. It makes yeah. me feel good about myself. Yeah. And I mean, when you, when you <laughs> just shared that story, my blood boiled a little bit, you know, because it's, um, it's, it is so difficult to make that transition to pregnancy at the, at the drop of a hat. And we really, I really believe we need to be telling women it's okay to listen to your body. And for me, I could go to work. Mm -hmm. I could wake up and I could go to work. And honestly, I didn't even want to do that, but I had to. I woke up, I went to work. I didn't do anything else. I could not pick up the dry cleaning. I could not do dishes. I couldn't do anything. And by the end, I think... That's okay. Oh my gosh. I just, I hope that like everybody that's listening (laughs) and that's in their first trimester is like, whoa, I, I don't have to be super mom. I don't have to be even close. I don't have to be super anything. I don't have to be, I don't want to be super. Survive. You need to survive. survive. Yeah. You need to survive. And if you can do. And take care of myself take care of yourself 100 that's your that's your only job and what i loved is there's a number of um pregnancy books out there that have these like really elaborate nutrition <laughs> chapters <laughs> and i was so miserable that like i could i i could eat what i could eat right like i could right. not care about the nutritional content it's like i need food that i'm not going to throw up yes. to enter my body and i had a nurse um at mary birch who i work with take me aside and say, you know what, Dr. Sterling, if all you can eat is Cheetos and Sprite, then all you eat is Cheetos and Sprite. And I, that made me feel so much better. Even, you know, like (laughs) just to, just to have somebody give me permission to just like ignore that. I love this because self-care, I think people can have one idea of what self-care is supposed to look like. Self-care means, oh, I'm supposed to exercise and I'm supposed to eat healthy. Because self-care means I'm taking care of myself. And that that should mean a certain type of nutrition or movement, moving my body. And, um, but it also can look like saying no to things Yes, and saying yes to things that feel, that feel good and feel comforting. Like, what I'm hearing is in that first trimester, what you need is like, 
a metaphorical big giant pillow. Yes. <laughs> of just a cushion yeah. of like love yeah. towards yourself and it's okay and recognizing and acknowledging what it is that your body is doing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So then, and so, and so then I think I, I imagine the beauty of that is that creates this foundation yeah. of knowing that that's okay and that's something that we need to be able to allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to do as moms moving into motherhood yes right? it doesn't, so it doesn't just stop at no. the end of first trimester no it doesn't yeah. stop in the whole so there's there's two things i mean one um giving yourself some grace and and uh, being easy on yourself i think is one of the most important lessons you can learn in your pregnancy that's going to help you be a mom mm-hmm. so that starts at the very beginning and two developing some rituals or some some self-care during the first trimester. Now, if the the caveat to that is if you are feeling bad, just survive. Like you might not even have enough energy to have a self-care ritual. Um, If you have enough energy, creating some space in your life to to do all of the the good things, right? You know, and I, um, I tell my patients to if they're up to it, to give them the last hour before they go to sleep, to have a little golden hour of self-care. Mm. Um, and that means disconnecting from your phone. And that means just really being present and not letting all of the mundane, you know, activity of the day carry into that really um, sacred quiet, space. sacred yeah. space. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was, a, I, I couldn't have done I couldn't do that when in my first trimester, but I think that's important if you can do if it. You can. But I also love that you're saying that, that recognizing that obviously everybody's lives look different. Yes. Right. And yes. and the 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 stresses and the pressures and the support systems that we have and the resources we have it all it it can look so diverse. But so what I'm hearing you say though is looking at your own unique situation. And what is possible? Yes. And and moving into that space of what is possible, and giving yourself permission mm-hmm. to do the things that are going to take are caring for yourself, giving yourself grace, and yeah, and giving yourself permission to to not feel like you have to be doing it all. Yep. Okay. So then, in the second trimester, what from your experience personally as a mom, but yeah. also um, as a as a provider. What in the second trimester can can be going on? Can I be so f- for me, there's two big things about the second trimester. This is aside from all the medical stuff, because you know. Oh yeah, I mean, there's plenty. There's plenty of, plenty of medical stuff. Yeah, honestly, the stuff there is. <laughs> there's so much information yes. about there about the yeah. that aspect of it. So I'm more interested in I think the the aspect that hasn't really been touched on a lot by a lot of other people. So I think the second trimester for a lot of women is a little bit of a reprieve from some of the really intense pregnancy symptoms. Not for everyone, but um, for those that it is to really um, seize upon that moment to spend time with their partner, if they have one, and um, their friends and family. Mm. Um, because as, as everyone who's had a child knows, you take a, a significant break from all of that um, after you have a child. Yeah. And so um, really kind of strengthening those relationships mm. and really, um, you know, spending time together. And if you have other kids really using that time when you're still mobile to really, um, focus on the people in your life. Mm. And if, if, you know, this is a, uh, a first kid and you don't have a lot of other mom friends really cultivating, a, a little bit of a mom tribe, I think. So building that network, building community, yeah. reaching, you know, really reaching out to other moms that you know that you may not have talked to in a while. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, other moms are like they are our foundation in all of the <laughs> in all of this. And um, yeah, I didn't have um, a, a ton of friends with uh, kids. And I uh, was so fortunate to, to meet some, some mom friends uh, not too long after um, I became a mom. And wow, like that was really powerful for me. So I really, I, I really encourage 
women to, to seek that out. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's like the peanut app. I don't know if you've heard of that. There's, Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways to kind of reach out. It's a little bit difficult if you start doing that after the baby comes because you're so exhausted. So not that you have to like meet all these moms, you know, but at least look out there and see, okay, what resources does my community have? Like what mom groups are there that I can have a list of so that once I'm like kind of coming above water after having my baby, I already have done this research. Like I already follow these communities on Instagram so I can just plug myself in instead of Mm -hmm. starting from scratch when you're, you know, so sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Um, and Yeah, so I think that community and your relationship with your partner and really honoring that in your second trimester is um, can be beneficial. And then the other aspect of it is starting to kind of bond with your pregnancy and bond with your baby. Mm. So um, I started um, around, babies can hear around 16 weeks. So um, probably around like 19, 20 weeks um, I started singing my daughter the same song every night. And I think that's really, for me, that's when I became a mom. So I think everyone becomes a mom at different uh, yep. points. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like, you don't just become a mom once the birth happens. I think you can become a mom at some point. And so for me, I became a mom when I was driving home from, I drove home from Los Angeles or yeah, from Los Angeles to San Diego and the entire ride home I memorized the the song Dream a Little Dream. I literally sang it over and over again so that that could be um, my lullaby. And the way that that really helped me was that when I finally, like, became a mom to an outside baby Mm -hmm. and was really struggling with not knowing how to be a mom and not necessarily feeling really confident, um in my motherhood skills, when I would sing her that song, sometimes that was the only time during the day that I really Mm. felt maternal. And that was a, that was a really beautiful experience for me. And, um, so whatever that is, it's just starting to think about motherhood and starting to, to kind of bring those thoughts about what kind of mom you want to be not that that's how it's going to end up, yes. but just starting to think about it in your second trimester, I think can be really um, lovely. Oh, I love that. Um, it, so a couple, I, there was so much that, that I was thinking when you were, <laughs> so there, there was one piece here of building the mom, a mom network. But so, so, so first you were talking about like connecting with friends, even friends that don't have kids. Yes, right? totally. Because, yeah. Because you know, and, and I know when, once I had a, a, a child, I became the worst friend. Like yep. I just, I dropped, I dropped that. I were always juggling balls, right? Mm-hmm. And that one was one that when I became a mom, I dropped. And with the hope that it would be one of those plastic balls that would jump back up and would yeah. bounce back. And with some friendships it did and with some it didn't. Yeah. But I think that if I, during my pregnancy, had really spent time with those people and and I don't know, and was aware of how much it was going to change yep. our friendship that, that I think either the friendships that weren't going to work out anyway, once I became a mom, it would have become more, it would have been clear and may have been a lot less painful yeah. when, when those relationships were challenged and, or it could have, it could have really protected some of those friendships because it's like, okay, we know this is going to be hard. And I want you to know that you're important to me. Yes. I'm about to do something that, from what I'm hearing, is going <laughs> to take so much out of me. Yeah. And I'm going to become really hyper, like super focused inward, right? Yeah. Um, and so then cultivating that mom network. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't have any friends that had babies when I became a mom. I was the first. And I didn't have that network. And what... What I ended up doing was going to breastfeeding support groups. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I mean, I got to breastfeed anyway. Might as well do it when I can have someone there that can support mm-hmm. me. And maybe there'll be other moms there with babies the same age. Yep. And that is with both pregnancies, with both of my children. I, and I'm still friends with moms from 
that the, that yeah. breastfeeding group. Um, yeah. If you're in San Diego, the San Diego Breastfeeding Center has a group every Wednesday. That is like where I met my my crew, my yeah. mom tribe, the people who in the middle of the night I could text yep. and they were up too. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah. And, and so then, and then there's this piece of partner relationships yep. and as a marriage and family therapist, I cannot <laughs> be a stronger supporter, a supporter of this piece. And, and, and you know, what's crazy is I'm a marriage, I'm a couples therapist. I work with a lot of couples and my husband and I, we did not do the work that we could have, should have yeah. done. Right. Like I just thought we'd be fine. And yep. it was it was really hard yeah. as it is for majority of couples, right? Yeah. Because so much has changed. Identity has changed. Intimacy has yes. changed, right? You're, you're have a third person in your house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just, there's, it's so, it's so hard and we weren't prepared. And, and I really, so now, you know, when, when, when I'm working with an individual who's pregnant and if, he, if she has a partner, right? We always talk about what are the two of you doing? And oftentimes couples work will happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we have a lot of conversations, you know, before the birth. And then from our second pregnancy, my husband and I were much more proactive because we're like, all right, like things are literally SHIT is about to hit the fan, like quite literally (laughs) again. (laughs) I'm spelling it so that I don't have to mark this episode as explicit (laughs) because I've had to do that now a couple times already, Um, which is Uh, fine. But in case kids are listening, yeah. Um, And it's about to hit the fan, like literally (laughs) and metaphorically again. So let's let's be better prepared, you know. And so, um, yeah, I can't I can't suggest that more, right? Couples counseling. You do not have to be on the brink of divorce to oh, just absolutely not. To yeah. just like designate time and space to talk about, okay, we're about to become parents. Yeah. Or we're about to become parents again. Yeah. And this is going to impact us. Yeah. And let's talk about that and talk about everything from like being prepared for how it's gonna impact us to how are we gonna support each other to like roles and like shared responsibilities and all of that. (laughs) There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then connecting with the baby. And I love what you just, that idea you gave of, of what worked for what you did of singing a song and finding that after she came, that was the one thing that you're like, okay, I know how to do this. Yeah. I already know the song. Yeah. I (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and I used this when the baby was inside of me and uh, it, it was it was easier because the, the baby wasn't outside of right. me and screaming and pooping and needing yeah. to feed and all this and and that those were calm those that was a calm time when I could just sing and it was calm and peaceful yeah. and now when I sing that song it's potentially triggering that same calm and yeah. maternal sense that I had then but it brings it to the space now right when yeah. everything else can feel all the other variables yeah. come into play. And she knows that's her song. Oh. I start, I sing that now, and she just she turns and she gives me the biggest smile, even if she's fussing. Ugh. You know, yeah. she knows that's her song, and that I mean, that's what bonding is about. You know, bonding is cyclical. It's not. It, you do the things, you do the behaviors, yep. and it comes back to you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. In one of my first interviews, I shared that I was at a. It was with um, a colleague. Um, who does uh, baby massage classes and it was in that baby massage class I was I went because I wanted something to use to have to connect with my daughter because I was not I wasn't feeling connected yet I was struggling and I shared with her that I would just sort of because she looked so connected to this honestly this like baby doll that she wasn't even a real baby that she was massaging to show us the moves I would just sort of copy and mimic her Mm -hmm tone and the, the the songs she was singing and I would sort of copy and mimic and eventually eventually it became real right yeah. so I was putting those behaviors into place and then slowly that relationship was built because yes. it's like any relationship right I mean I mean I guess some people believe in instant love and some people some people really share that, that they do have that experience yeah. of like yeah. seeing their baby and that instant yep. connection bond and love that's not for, I believe, most moms 
the journey of connection. It's not actually. It's not. And yeah. but we <laughs> nobody really feels comfortable talking Saying about that. that. Yeah. But that's what they'll share with me when there's no one else in the room and they're like, yeah, so you know, they'll yeah. divulge that they're just working still working on feeling bonded. And yeah. I think because we tell this story of of this the heavens parting and this mm. the most beautiful love you've ever felt in your life is going to happen to you after potentially one of the most traumatic and painful <laughs> experiences, experiences of your of life, life. Yeah. you know and man that's a lot of pressure mm. to put on a situation yeah and um you know for whatever reason humans really like to feel the love and feel the intention first before the behavior happens Mm -hmm. so we want to feel this overwhelming love and then we want it to propel us to take care of the baby and then we can respond to that love with yes yeah but i that's that's not really what bonding is bonding is a is a cycle of behavior and attachment and it's more complex than just this like oh i feel love it's this slow growing yeah beautiful thing right yeah i always say because my Daughter had a really hard time when my son was born in just adjusting to that. And, you know, to the point where she'd wake up and she'd be like, where's the baby? And she wouldn't want to be in the same room as him. And yeah. so I was par- I was trying to parent a newborn and a three-year-old in separate rooms, which was... That's a, fun. Which was real fun. <laughs> we, all, we actually all went to family therapy around that. Good, good, it was, good. It was, <laughs> we needed it. It was really helpful. But now they have this really unique and I mean it's not unique because I think that most relationships actually grow like this but it's it's this beautiful yeah attachment and connection yeah. with each other yeah. and it was slow growing and yeah. slow building and they had to really get to know each other and it wasn't this like instant thing yes but it's this beautiful thing and and because I got to see the growth in it right um and the change and the how it evolved there's yeah. so much beauty in that yeah um, yeah, so I think I I'm totally with you on that, yeah. and that my own experience resonates yeah. in that as well. Yeah, and I think the the thing to keep in mind too is that not you and your partner are necessarily going to be on that same bonding track. Like you may be bonded totally. from the yes. very moment, and it may be four or five months before your partner is bonded, or vice versa, and really really having empathy for the other person and not not judging them for where their where their bonding is at right I mean Mm -hmm. because that in and of itself can be a very vicious cycle when you think I feel this way why don't you feel this Mm -hmm. way because everyone wants to feel bonded to their baby everybody wants the experience of the heavens parting and love the most miraculous love filling their body and Yes. yes but that is that is, that is rare. <laughs> yes. So we really, and that goes back to also the, the first trimester, mm-hmm. forgiving yourself and having grace with yourself. Yeah. You have to be okay mm-hmm. with your journey and, and not comparing your journey to your partners or to the Facebook post or the Instagram mm-hmm. post about how much love you they right, felt right, immediately. Right, you're somebody else's curated, filtered highlight yeah. reel, right? Where they're yeah. They're, they're just sharing one part. They're probably yeah. not taking pictures during those really hard, ugly moments. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. And we all, we all t- I mean, I did it too. Yeah. When I announced the birth of Celeste, I put, we, oh, what did I say? I think I said something like, we've never been so in love or something. You know, I literally just right. tagline. Because, because what else are you supposed to say? Like, yeah, that's, that's, what what, that's what you say on that's Instagram you when say. you have a baby, you know? But that that's wasn't nece- that wasn't yeah. necessarily our experience, no. you know? Yeah. Um, my husband was so... I love, too, how fine he was with it. He was like, I like her. Yeah. I like her. But, you know, yeah. And, and you know, there's this... I don't know if you ever heard that quote from Ryan Ryan Reynolds after Blake Lively gave birth he said oh I think he shared it on Twitter or something and he said I thought I loved my wife and then I my baby was born and I realized I would throw my wife in front of a train (laughs) for my baby and Garrett's response was like I wouldn't throw you in front (laughs) I would not do that you know because he I think he was kind of expecting that and he was like no I like her a lot but I'm not gonna throw you in front of a train for her 
And then, and so, and some of this work that you're talking about in the second trimester of doing couples, of doing some of the couples stuff, right? Then that, hopefully that can give couples the skills to be able to have these kind of conversations with each other, right? About where they're struggling, how their, how their journeys into connection and attachment are looking different and being able to being able to hold that space for each other, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and not feel shamed or not feel like I need to silence how I'm really feeling. Because that can lead, like like you said, that can be really toxic yeah. and lead to some vicious cycles and disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So third trimester, mm-hmm. what, what do we do? Which, like all, all of this has been so good. Like what else can we add <laughs> to this? Come on. <laughs> so good so third trimester um <laughs> there's th- that's where like the bulk of the work is done oh yeah we've, yeah. Already, we've already done a lot of work we've already done a lot of work <laughs> yeah. but that there's more to there's be done. more to be yeah. done yeah so um i am um a firm believer that um and this is something i talk about throughout um, pregnancy as well that um getting connected to your inner wisdom throughout mm. pregnancy and and during your third trimester can be really important and help ground you and empowering. Yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah, um, and also strengthening your mind-body connection. And there's a number of ways I kind of teach people how to do that. Yeah. But um, in terms of the um, of the inner wisdom, it's just about creating some space in your life to um, for introspection, whether that's journaling, meditation prayer, whatever that looks like to you, making that a priority because Mm -hmm. your identity is about to just change so much. Even if it's not your first baby, your identity, you're now, you know, it's, Oh, as a mom of two, I can, I can, yes, I can back that up. Yeah. Yeah. You think, okay, I know how to do the mom thing. Then you have a second and it will rock you and your identity in other ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's not, you know, it's, it's about just listening to yourself and being, and being quiet with yourself and thinking about, okay, what does motherhood mean to me? And I think exploring your relationship, whether good or bad with your own mother and your own parents Mm. can be uh, really important because I think that shows up, um, after you have a baby and if it was good, fantastic, that's a great role model for you. And if it wasn't, there can uh, that can bring up a lot of feelings. So processing some of the feelings about how your childhood went, mm-hmm. I think, can be really huge. So, um, and then in terms of strengthening your mind body connection, for for me, it's a lot about, um, you know, um, birth is a really um, intense physical experience, and so um, kind of just getting in tune with your body. And, um, I like to teach people to do serial muscle relaxation mm, meditation. Progressive muscle <laughs> relaxation. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And you know, there's some, there's actually some pretty good data behind yeah. on that type of, yeah. um, meditation. And so, um, you know, it's really, it's so simple. It's like closing your eyes and relax and lying down. And I, I usually tell people to do this with sleep because sleep is so hard in the third trimester. Yes. So, um, you know, relaxing all of your muscle groups from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes and especially your eyes, your jaw and your yes. shoulders because I think a lot of us hold a lot of tension there. And that can be really useful when you're when you go into labor to yes. kind of, you know, not tense up too much. But um yeah, and then the preparing for postpartum, I really try to paint a picture of what of how difficult it is because I think everyone talks about the the newborn snuggles and the the love and all of that stuff yeah. and so um I yeah I just try to prepare people for the reality of the sleep deprivation yes. and the the relationship stress um you know as you know I'm sure um for a lot of people marriage satisfaction decreases after oh, the yeah. birth there's of a child that, there's you, you know yeah obviously you know the research like there's yeah. that point in time where marital satisfaction it hovers wherever it hovers and it drops off the precipice yes and that point in time yeah it's having children and so um i talk about i i yeah. ask patients to bring in their partner at the end and we talk about what is about to happen in terms of the relationship. And, and, you know, I'm not a therapist. I don't have 50 minutes to sit down and kind of go through individual, like what, where their relationship is. So it's more of me 
I'm telling them that, okay, you guys are about to become, I'll give you the, this is like word for word, the spiel that I give to um, new parents. You know, you guys are about to become co-project managers (laughs) of a human being. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And you guys are, you guys are going to care a lot about the outcome here and what's Mm. going on here. At the same time that you become co-project managers, you were also going to be so chronically sleep deprived. You you know, there's there's nothing that can really prepare you for that degree of yeah. sleep deprivation. And what happens to our brains when we're sleep deprived is a lot of our executive functions disappear. Yeah. So um, I won't get too sciencey on you, but um, essentially, you know, the um, prefrontal cortex is where we hold a lot of our very unique human abilities, um, a lot of our brain power. So the ability to think, to have multiple goals in your mind at the same time. So when you're communicating with your partner during that communication, you'll, you'll oftentimes be operating with multiple, um, goals. So I want to communicate what I feel. Um, I want to keep the relationship harmonious and I want to, um, you know, have, I have a big picture of where I see this conversation fitting in with our, our whole story. When you are sleep deprived, you can't, your brain is unable to hold all of those goals in its mind at the same time. So it's much more of an action reaction. Mm-hmm. You don't have the space in your brain to say, okay, I didn't like that. Am I going to say something? Mm-hmm. How am I going to say it? When am I going to say it? That's gone. You see something you don't like or something happens that you disagree with and you just blurt it out. It's just... It just, <laughs> just comes, comes out. out. <laughs> Unfiltered, not... No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so you're managing this project together now and now your communication, there's a total breakdown you in your communication. You don't have executive functioning no. that you used to have. No. While, you, while, while managing this very important project very that important. you care a lot about. <laughs> yeah. And that you want to be able to do together. And Yes, yeah. yeah. So you can, So what do you do? What, what are you supposed to do? Because literally you will be talking about, we would be talking about the size of diapers. Yeah. And I would just be like, how, wait, how did this become an argument? <laughs> I literally don't understand how this became an argument. And so my lovely husband um, came up with this hugging it out. Mm. And so when things, when yeah. either one of us felt overwhelmed, um, or we were having a conversation that was not productive. It was we weren't getting anywhere. He would say, "All right, I need a hug," and we would we would bring it in for like a fifteen to second hug. And as it turns out, there's data behind it. There literally is the the Gottman's. Are you familiar <laughs> yes. with the Gottman's research? I am now. You are yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Gottman's. So they have this idea of in their book, um, and Baby Makes Three, right? Like we're all in the same soup, right? Which is basically in a moment of saying I need a hug and there's literally like the amount the amount of time that you're hugging matters yes. like the amount of yes. seconds it does. you're hugging matters yes because the first five seconds you're still gonna be mad you're still gonna be mad yes yeah. that oxytocin hasn't yeah. hit yet yeah. to yeah. like yeah. help sort of like bring that like fight or flight yeah thing down yeah that sympathetic system deregulate turn down okay and so but yeah actually hugging it out because first it's it's actually slowing down your stress response mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. and then and then it's like this reminder of oh yeah we're both in this oh, like yeah. we're both in this together i'm yeah. not in this alone yeah and it's a reminder of we're in the same soup we can we're still connected in this and s-h-i-t this is hard yeah <laughs> so Dr. Sterling, there was like so much more we were going to talk about, but I think that this needs to be, that needs to be another episode because (laughs) this, all of this, I think we just need all at this just sort of like, it just all needs to like get into our systems and we need to like put it into practice and, and, and live it. Um, thank you so much for sitting here at my dining table and sharing all of this and your willingness to embrace vulnerability and humility, but also while empowering us with information and informed by research, but with the like, with like sprinkled with grace and love all over it. It's just, it's so good. The work you're doing and 
so where can where can people find you or work that you're doing? Okay, so I think the best place to find me at this point is on the Instagram, yeah, Dr. Christine. Media. Yeah, social media, um, Dr. Christine Sterling. And um, yeah, I talk a lot about motherhood there yeah. and um, the reality. And then, um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was, it's been a pleasure. I, I, am, I just feel very blessed that you asked me here today. So thank you. Thanks, Christine. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.